Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Okay, good morning. This is Jay Levine, your host of Antitrust Law Source. And we have a real treat today. Um, I am joined here uh, with Phil Rist, who is the Executive Vice President of Prosper Business Development. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Today we're going to be talking a lot about data, big data, and what can be done with it, and uh, not so much um, the evils of it, but actually the you know the positives and the benefits. So, uh, before we start, uh, Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit about Prosper Business Development? I'd be happy to. Uh, Prosper Business Development is a uh, boutique uh, business advisory and, and business intelligence firm. Um, we've been dealing with. Uh, integrating data and applying analytics for a quarter of a century. And our specialty is dealing with um, large corporations that are uh, dealing with change, uh, either regulatory change, um, technology change, or highly competitive change, where they need to use uh, data and information to grow their business. So Mm -hmm. over the last 25 years, we've done a lot of work in telecommunications industry, uh, banking industry, energy industry, and now e-commerce. Uh, if, if you look back over the time period, each of those industries were thrust into change, either either by uh, changes in regulation or or changes in technology. Right. The only thing that stays the same is that there's change all the time. Correct. Okay. Wait, now, just curious, 25 years ago, I mean... To some of us, that seems a very long time ago to be dealing with, you know, stuff that you know we kind of think only grew in the past five to ten years. How did you start twenty five years ago? Did did your own business change over that time? Um, uh, my business partner and I had a consumer research company in the eighties mm-hmm. that we sold our interest in, and we were looking in nineteen ninety for new sources of business. And um, we found a wealth uh, of information available within the federal government <laughs> that was uh, all depart- uh, compartmentalized. Uh-huh. Uh, there was information that the IRS was making available. There was Commerce Department. There was Bureau of Labor Statistics. But it was all in silos and none of it was usable, but was free. So we, we formed a business to uh, retrieve uh, data in the public domain that was available from the federal government and funded with tax dollars and build analytics that were was new information that the business community hadn't seen before. So, so you applied your analytics to these existing databases. Right. For example, the uh, Commerce Department uh, uh, covers uh, all kinds of information on different retail revenues by classes of trade. Mm-hmm. Um, the IRS summarizes what percentage um, certain classes of business spend on expenses. One of them is advertising. It's a line item on a uh-huh. return. So we took the percentages from the IRS tables uh-huh. and we applied it to the retail sales information from the Commerce Department. And we actually created uh, uh, estimates of advertising expenditures by taking two different data sets and doing some simple math. As you were talking about it, it it seemed to me Wall Street types must love some of your reports, you know, because if I want to know kind of how retail is doing or if I want to know how groceries are doing or big box 
or electronics, I mean, that's the kind of, that's your sweet spot, isn't it? Ours, our sweet spot, would, we would say, is understanding the consumer uh, intentions, mm-hmm. their, their plans, um, but also their feelings, which is um, an area that you can't get out of just scanning somebody. Their emotional mindset that impacts their spending. Right. So, I mean, but a lot of, you know, these people's businesses, Macy's business or, or GM's business is going to be built on how I feel, how secure I am in my, my job, how financially secure I feel. You know, I, you know, we always, you know, we, we talk about these, you always hear the Department of Labor coming out with these, you know, consumer right. uh, confidence indices and things like that. So I can imagine that Wall Street is extremely interested in how consumers feel and what they feel good about and what they don't feel good about because that can help them understand what industries to invest in and what industries to perhaps get away from. They're more interested in the last several years. Uh, They have been an industry that was functioning on historical stock performance data. Right. Okay. Um, And never really cared about the you know, the unwashed masses of how they were feeling. Right. right. But when 2008 hit uh-huh. and they realized that the, all the data and analytics that they were using didn't, help. didn't tell them that there was a cliff that they just were going to go over. Right. Okay. Then you get the teachable moment where people start realizing, well, maybe we need to look at a new radar System. Right. Yeah. We, we got to look at you. got to look at the people who upon whose foundation all of these are based. Right. Um, rather than kind of the multiples and 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 stuff and overvalued stocks and, and the like. I remember at that at that time talking with some folks and they were saying, well, the information you collect is too different. It's too you know. We're used to looking at these historical employment numbers and, mm-hmm. and all these types of things, and we've been doing that for whatever twenty years. And I, I looked at it and I said, "Well, how'd that work out for you?" <laughs> <laughs> and well, well, we didn't. Nobody saw this coming. Well, right. you know, if nobody saw it coming, maybe your intelligence systems are missing uh-huh. a component. Now, and how do you find out how people are feeling? I mean, you know. That that's a fairly amorphous term, and I mean, you can tell maybe how I'm feeling by looking at my purchases. You know, and am I buying more consumer goods? Am I buying fewer? But it doesn't really get to my mindset. We have a we have a bad. Uh, first of all, our company uh, in the United States uh, collects a uh, one of the largest monthly consumer surveys, and it, we we it's we, it's not sponsored by anybody. Uh, we are the funder of it, so ah. it's, it's our information to do what we wish. Gotcha. And um, we've been running this uh, monthly survey since right after nine eleven. And oh. um, and and one of the issues that our country was facing at that time was a lot of emotional sure. type issues. And so we we worked with uh, a series of uh, you know both business people. Uh, uh, government people and also some academics and we said you know what are the types of questions you know if we can get you know 6,000 people every month right to of all walks of life 
to, and you want to ask them some things, what are the types of things? And so we got input from a lot of people. And the questions are very simple. They're not like going to a psychiatrist. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, actually, okay. they're actually very simple for the respondent to answer the question. Okay. So our happiness track of questions, there's like 10 questions, and you just, from 1 to 10, you know, uh, and it's like, how happy are you with your job, with your, you know, spiritual life, with your, with the government? Uh, and so, and so it's a, it's a, you know, one to ten, right? And and but we're not looking at how that one person answered. We're looking the at group. at the groups of people: men versus women, young versus old, Republicans versus Democrats, Midwest it, versus East Coast. Yeah, and so you could look at sec- groups of folks and how they feel about an issue, and then you could also look at it over time. So you could see. You know, how do these things happen when there's some sort of international terrorist event? Right. Okay. Or how does how, uh, how do feelings happen when you start going into a holiday season, which is more about family and, mm-hmm. you know, you know those types of things. I got you. And so because we've been doing it for over a decade, we now have one of the largest data sets of what American consumers felt uh-huh. and what they planned on doing. So now... To be able to model that data with actual sales, like automotive sales, sure. or you know, okay, it's it's, it, it's a new input to uh, build predictive, right? Predictive models because you have you now have sort of natural experiments Correct. where people said X, Y happened, right? Z was the outcome, right? And you can extrapolate that to new events or you know different changes. Correct. Interesting. Well, that that's a good segue to comes 2016, okay? We know big data is an issue you know, on the news. We know the federal government's dealing with it. You know, the agency that I deal a lot with it, Federal Trade Commission, just came out with a, a report on it, and it's going to come out with several other reports and, and the like. So, you know, what do you see as, let's say, the 2016 predictions, either for Prosper or for the analytics or the big data community at large what what do you see as the new challenges or or the new opportunities sure um well we're we're living in a decade um where you know data is the new oil okay Uh uh-huh if you if 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 you go back to the turn of the century uh not not the recent one the 19th and and you look at you know once once you know Rockefeller learned how to refine oil and the uh-huh. gasoline okay and you can use that analogy where um, where data is just like crude oil uh-huh. all right it's an input it's an input and then what 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 can you make out of it what can you do with it when you add it to other data when you do predictive models when you when you're looking at things over time um, can be a very uh, competitive. Uh, have for a company or an organization of uh, uh, give them a competitive edge. Okay. Having intelligence uh, and f- and forward-looking intelligence that their their competitors uh, don't have. The problem is companies misuse it. Okay, uh, they don't secure it. It gets <laughs> into the wrong hands. Right. Okay. It creates problems for them. I mean, two years ago. We had the uh, Target uh, mm-hmm. data breach, right, and that led to a lot of consumers having trust issues. 
uh, do I trust using my card with right. them? Um, and um, there's a lot of evil uh, in the world. <laughs> Okay, so um, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> there, there's a lot of evil in the world, um, and for, in terms of 2016, uh, last week at the Consumer Electronics Show, you know, every, all the talk is about the Internet of Things, right? Okay, which is um, devices mm-hmm. that are the wearable and the non-wearable. Yeah, the yeah. thermostats, the refrigerator, the door lock on your house, communicating with your car. Right. Okay. And um, and all the business opportunities that are available there, but from a data security standpoint, frightening. It's frightening because you know you you could be company X who makes the thermostat that has all the controls in it and it can't be hacked. Okay, but maybe um, I'm wearing a, a fitness monitor on my arm. Right. Okay, that doesn't have that same uh, security control. Right. And if a hacker can get into that device, uh, it's called land and attack. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're now, they've infected the weakest link in the chain. Right. And now I walk into my house and it, it's Bluetooth is communicating with my smart TV. Right. And my wireless. And, and all of a sudden. Everything is open. Everything's open. Um, uh, so the. Uh, the Internet of Things is certainly going to be a big business. There's a lot of people that right. want it. Okay, government wants it because they'd like you uh-huh. to control your thermostats when you're not at home. Sure, they like the information that they're able to glean um, yeah. out of behaviors. Um, uh, the Samsung just unveiled a five thousand uh, dollar refrigerator at the electronic show mm-hmm. with a twenty one inch TV set and five cameras inside. That will email you uh, a photo so you can see if you're low on milk. Right. Okay, which me sounds like a little bit of overkill. Right. Uh, it looks like a solution in search of a problem. Well, but, well, but but the consumer manufacturers, they want you to buy something. You already right. have, so they need they need you to buy something. Well, they're creating the need. I, I, a, couple, a couple of years ago, the FTC had a workshop on the Internet of Things, and um, actually, Google's um, senior uh, senior exec, um, somebody I forgot his name, but he is a um, he's sort of the mastermind of a lot of these things. I mean, he was talking about. I know who you're talking about. Um, he's a tall, well, yes. uh, uh, well dressed gentleman, very very erudite, um, and you know he was talking about these things. He was talking about a refrigerator that you know will as you pull something out it will tell you remember that's 500 calories where, right. which seems to me absolutely obnoxious right. but nevertheless I, you know I, I am on a diet and it is it I, I'll tell you I, I mean I have a food journal it's on my smartphone right you know I go I, it is great I can scan any product goes in right um, portion controls um, I, it, there, there's a lot of things but of course if it gets hacked if it gets hacked or if it gets uh, asked for by your health insurance company. Right. Or your employer. Right, because they want to know what, you know, what right. I'm so, eating, what I'm doing. Right. So you, you, you have this, these lines that yep. can easily be crossed. Mm-hmm. And you also have an industry where 
the person that sold you the device not might not be the firm that's actually collecting the data. Right. That that makes sense. Okay. So your um, your smart refrigerator is going to communicate over your whoever your internet provider is, mm-hmm. uh, sending data. And so there's folks along the way that have an opportunity to gather, grab data as they go by. Right. Maybe not PII, maybe not personally identifiable right. information. But yeah, it won't have your social number and your your credit card number or even your date of birth, but it'll have... Uh, somebody at this IP address. Yeah, it does. But there's X, another y, database that has that IP address and has who lives there. Right. And there's another database that has the house and information on the family. And so, you know... There's a, it, it's possible that the one company that's not collecting any personally identifiable information that they have could be um, mm-hmm. assigned or uh, uh, guessed if you it's an right. educated guess. So, so going forward, basically, you're you're if I'm reading you right, so you're, you're basically saying there's going to be even more avenues of data, yes, even more streams of data, right? Now that's that's frightening in and of itself, especially those who, who worry about Big Brother or or even if it's not nefarious, but you know, there are just some people who don't want every little thing about them known to, to others. Right. Um, but putting that aside, all of this new stream of data allows people to do or collect or utilize in some even uh, affirmative and affirmatively good fashion. Sure. That's where you come in? Well, that's the good use of it. That would be the thing to um, uh, nudge you into eating better, reminding you right. positive messages that maybe you should choose this yeah. uh, food instead of that because it's lower in carbs or whatever. Right. So there, there there's there's benefits. Right. And the, and the well, I mean, I, the one thing I guess that that frustrates me about this benefit versus cost discussion about big data that you know people have every day the genie's out of the bottle i mean that's right. not you're not you're not putting it back in I right mean, it's 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 as if yes the internet is a is a great tool could be used for evil but we're never going to have life without an internet anymore right and you're also never going to have life without evil right so yeah. it's just you know in the in the uh uh 20 years ago, these evil practitioners were using 800 numbers and 900 numbers right. to scam people. Right. Now they're just using a different technology. The exactly. scammer's always going to be there. Right. So, I mean, so, so, so I guess going forward, the prediction really is, I mean, there, there's going to be more fronts that you need to fight or protect against. Correct. Um, for your business, there's going to be more data streams that you can help your clients analyze or put together right. and, you know, and, and the like, I mean, that's just going to, you know, that's just going to happen exponentially. I mean, the, every, all these wearable items, I sure. mean, you know, uh, you know, the garments, the Fitbits, right. the, you know, and all of that. And I got to believe at some point they're going to embed your shoe with it. You know, it's you know. coming. <laughs> oh, I, I got to believe. I mean, that's just the. You know, why should you have to wear something on your on your wrist to, to count tell you how steps. many steps? Right. You know, just put it on your shoes. Right.
Well, this has been incredibly enjoyable. Uh, please tune in to our next podcast, where Phil and I will discuss how companies can use big data to their benefit. I am Jay Levine, your host of Antitrust Law Source. You can reach me at um, by email, the letter J L E V I N E at porterright.com, P-O-R-T-E-R-W-R-I-G-H-T. I'm on Twitter at J-A-Y-L-L-E-V-I-N-E. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, again, this has been Antitrust Law Source, and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, our next podcast. Take care. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose, and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.